Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. Hello, everybody. Many thanks for your patience while I've been on sabbatical here. We are using all of our energy on the platform and on reaching sustainability, and there has not been much left over for making new episodes. I will be releasing new ones here and there. Hopefully in the next few months, we'll be able to get back to regular programming, but it's all a little bit up in the air right now. The good news is that we do have a fantastic conversation for you today with a visiting artist here in Copenhagen, none other than Nathan Gulick. He was here in town for his solo exhibition at C4 Projects, which was called Waiting Room. We met and had a live recording right there in the space, and it was actually a lot of fun. Nathan is eloquent, he's engaged, and we got a really great podcast out of it. The show is down now, but you can see install shots from the show on the notes page for this episode. Remember also to check out all the great shows on our platform, Cultural Bandwidth. There's a team of great podcasters making original content about art, and I know you're going to love it. There are two new episodes of the new show, Future Preservation, recorded live here in Copenhagen, and the Feluca podcast also has an episode out next week with none other than Ed Templeton. Check it out at culturalbandwidth.com. And so, with no further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Nathan. So I figure we should uh, we should start. Yeah, let's start. And starting is the worst part. Okay. <laughs> Just because you got to click in, but um, thank you guys for coming. Yes. Welcome. You. Nice to see you guys. Hey, Welcome. Come on in. For those of you who don't know, I run a podcast called The Undergang Armchair, uh, and I'm also uh, I have started a podcast network with a bunch of podcasts about art. Um, and that is kind of up and up and working and, you know, under development, I guess you could say. And we do some live events. There's also a program called Future Preservation that's coming, which is also going to be more live events at places like Den Flea and uh, some other art halls around town. So um, if you're interested, you can check it out, culturalbandwidth.com. Um, yeah, there's eight or nine podcasts on there. So you don't necessarily have to hear me yapping. There's other stuff, too. <laughs> Um, that's true. Yeah, Nathan knows. I can, <laughs> you can vouch. So go ahead and put that a little closer to your mouth. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I am terrible at introductions, so okay. I'm actually not going to do it. I'm going to okay. leave you with the responsibility of doing a short presentation on yourself, just like this oh, is a man. TED talk, like a book report on myself. Oh, like pretty what? much. <laughs> like, well, um, your education, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then I'll come with a bunch of dumb questions afterwards. Fair enough. Um, my name is Nathan Gulick. I am American. From yeah, are, you, are you not sure? <laughs> I know. I'm sure of that. I just wasn't sure if that was like pertinent information that should be included here. It's out there now. Uh, now I can never take it back. Um, I um, I studied at SVA in New York for undergrad, which is the School of Visual Arts, and I had a film degree from there. And spent about 10 years in the wind um, before I kind of came home again to fine art and ended up going to Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles mm -hmm. after some work in the film, um, not film department, film field, mm -hmm. film area. Was that the first plan <clears throat> that you were going to be a director? A, a filmmaker. I mean, I always loved, I still love film and capital F film or capital C cinema. Like I, I always really wanted to do that, but I think it just, um, I think the realities of what the film business is, I could never really get my head around. And all the times when I could have been like interning at a studio or something like that, like I was working at art museums. So I probably should have listened to my gut, <laughs> you know, I was making put two and two together. Yeah. I was making documentary films and, you know, I worked at the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego where I was living for a time and 
made a film on one of the artists there. And so I was always kind of like gravitating back towards the fine art world mm. and probably should have just, just made a call earlier to uh, dive right into that. But when you say calling back, does that mean that's kind of where you started in a way or like where well, is it? Yeah, I guess. Well, that's, yeah. So, I mean, I always painted, I was a, a, a really bad painter which I think a lot of people start out being High five yeah, in their twenties. Um, and, um, and even when I was in film school, I was still painting mm-hmm. and most of my friends were actually kind of painters and musicians and, and I would say kind of punk artists or whatever. And, um, and I kind of decided at one point that I needed to buckle down and get serious or whatever. Like I actually even dropped out for a year of film school to go work at a lithography place. Just to, uh, it was a factory. It was really cool. Actually, we were printed on these um, old machines that used to run on steam. There was actually these French machines that were steam used to be steam powered and like they would, they would chain children to in the industrial revolution. Ah. It was really, uh, Did they chain you to it metaphor- <laughs> metaphorically. Um, but yeah, I just I just decided that I needed to buckle down and get serious and and go back. And I went into film, and I kind of over time, kind of gave up that kind of art practice, even though it was, you know, still kind of close to me. Mm. Yeah, that kind of thing is always really hilarious to me, and I understand it completely because at a yeah. certain point, I made that choice as well. Yeah, but it's always funny to sit there and be like, yeah, the film world is really difficult and hard because like you're in the art world. It's not like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? But no. it, is, it is a slow realization that you get that like, I'd rather eat shit here than there. That's right. That's in exactly the ways. best way to put it. It's because you're going to, you're going to eat shit and you're going to have to hustle. And it's just what, which hustle you're, you're comfortable with and which hustle is worth it to you. Yeah. And which and one makes it. sense? Like what's going to happen while I'm eating shit. Right. Is kind of what maybe yeah. makes more sense. Right. And, and yeah, it's just, I think, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you nailed it, <laughs> but it's just, I mean, and also like just to, just to make a, the realities of getting a film off the ground. I mean, I've tried to make a few short films and collaborating is tough just with other people is tough. You know, then, then the money is tough. And then you've got this thing that. Right. A lot of things have to work out before you can get started. Exactly. In a lot of ways. Right. Uh, Whereas you can always make a shitty collage at home. You can always make a shitty collage at home. That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I, I just always find it interesting, those choices that, that we make, because I do, right. I've slowly realized the older I get that the less, uh, the, you know, the more time goes on, the more I just realize how horrible this branch is of how making art and trying to make oh. a living or trying to, you know, be sustainable, right. not even called making a living, being sustainable. Um, right. But <laughs> for some reason, we're just like, we it's just where we have to be. You know, like it's not I even think, really a choice for a lot of people, I don't think. Right. It's the cliche of calling it a, like a calling. And I think I that's... Yes, I don't yeah. really mean that either. But I just mean like, for whatever reason, this is like where we gravitate towards. Yeah. And can't, get, can't really get out of, even though... No, I tried to be a normal person for like a really long time. <laughs> and like it didn't... It See, didn't, and you wasted a bunch of time, right? I mean, I don't know if I wasted <laughs> it. I, I learned a lot. I mean, it actually comes out in my work a lot. Like I, I... You know, I was in San Diego and I think I was like trying exceptionally hard to be just like a normal person and uh, failing work at a yeah, work a job and have a, you know, have a house and whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, it just didn't, just Not didn't for you. stick. <laughs> just, yeah, I don't. I can't do it. So when did the flip happen? Did it happen before you went to get your MFA? Well, um, I mean, we had ended up in Los Angeles because... Um, Christina Hendershaw, who is an artist, and also my wife had gotten into grad school in Los Angeles. And this was also this was also still during the I'm gonna give it one last try for film. And a friend was working at a production company and was like, Well, if you come up here, you know, I can put you on at this production company. And Christina was going there for school. And so so I was up in Los Angeles for for this job and for Christina to go to school. And that didn't work out. <laughs> that ended up being, you know, a kind of uh tough but, you know, good learning experience. 
And it was when I was kind of like diplomatically. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was hugely difficult. How can I even be even more di diplomatic? Got but it. I think it was, it was after that, that I was just like, well, what, what do I really want? Right. You know, what is it? What is it that I really want? And there was a few fits and starts again. of still trying to make a short film. I was actually working at Otis where I eventually got a master's. I had started working there. Mm. Um, and, um, still trying to be a uh, kind of a regular person and failing, failing mm -hmm. at it. And it was really just, yeah, it was really just like kind of enough's enough. Um, so yeah. school is the natural choice then. I think, it, I think school is like MFAs are a controversial thing because well, now PhD is a controversial MFAs so are just, <laughs> I mean, I think it made sense for me because, um, at that point, I had, I knew a lot of people in MFA program. I had relationships. It's a natural thing to do. Well, and and I think just being away from the world for kind of long enough time that being not current with theory or not even in the practice of reading theory, still kind of having, I don't know, not like a naive but kind of like direct relationship with art let's say like where it was still like kind of reactionary instead of like more studied or academic mm -hmm. it made sense for me if i was going to seriously do this to to go in and uh did i feel like it was necessary even like you wouldn't be able to play the game if you weren't it felt necessary to me mm. i don't know if i would necessarily recommend it i feel like a lot of people who go through mfas feel ambivalent on the way out you know um, my sure. experience was even kind of weirder because I was trying to avoid debt. So I was like working at the same time. So I went part-time. So it kind of extended and kind of drew out the, drew out the kind of, yeah, it was like mm -hmm. a, like a bandaid slowly pulled off for mm -hmm. four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Regardless of what it said, I mean, you know, <laughs> say what you will about art degrees. Yeah. Uh, they do surround you with artists. Exactly. Yeah. You do learn a nomenclature and you do have a group of people to work with. Yeah. And that's everything. At the end of the day, um, for whatever ambivalence I feel about Otis, like I owe being here in a lot of ways to, to that institution. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. Cause you meet people who know other people and, uh, that's just, that's just the nature of it. Yeah. And I used to get mad at the art world for that, but I just realized that's how everything is. The net, the, the networks. Yeah. yeah Meeting people course. who open doors, like whether you're in banking or you're in art world, Right. And what's the difference, really? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, one, you know. <laughs> one of them has money. <laughs> True. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not even just the art world. It's just how it is. And you do yeah. need to find a group of people to work with. The yeah. idea of the person who paints pictures in the in the attic and never sees anybody is more or less a myth. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can be that person, but you'll, you'll die covered in your own work your own film. i was yeah. gonna say your own shit but it, it's the same yeah. yeah pretty much no i mean it's true and i think that but i think that goes back to like what shit you're willing to eat like what kind of network like because you know when i was younger and just couldn't stomach the sort of social professional crossover aspect of it it was that took a long time to get over because i you know pulls a lot of people out of it yeah definitely so now it's like one of the funnest things about it in my mind, having colleagues and talking about art and meeting people. Sure. I mean, that's literally what this show is, right? I mean, so <laughs> yeah, in that sense, that's like one of yeah. the best parts slaving away and trying to get someone to pay attention to you. That's not the fun part. No, but hanging out with people and talking about art and going to art shows. That's, yeah. that's the good part. Right. And so naturally you pull together in that sense. Right. I mean, there's that, there's that, I mean, that would be the, that would be the best part of it. And not to be a negative Nelly, there there is like there is the kind of anxiety of going to an opening and being distracted and I'm so to, beyond uh, that. I know. I wow. don't like I had that, but I'm yeah, I'm too old now. Yeah, fuck that. You're like <laughs> <laughs> Although I do catch my eyes, like I'll be talking to someone in an opening, I will just be like dink, 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 like looking around, you know, and it's true. You do get this like Yeah, man. What's going on here? What are we doing? Just, Who's here? Like I think it's just part of it. I think it's just I think it's just and it's funny that, I mean, you know, that, that art events attended mostly by other artists become, totally. become that kind of thing. I was just in an art fair and it was like an art fair just for artists to come and chat. It we got to have something, you know, like you got to throw, throw it was a, like a, nice, a nice day out. <laughs> no outsiders.
So what happened? You were like, if we're going to switch subjects here, sure, you were yeah. a, uh, a bad painter. Those yes. Are your words. I was, yeah. And Radical then, honesty. And then you somehow got into an MFA program. I somehow got into an MFA program. Did you I, get in on bad paintings? <laughs> no, I actually got in on on like mediocre photographs. Okay. So um, a step up. A step up. <laughs> um, no, what I had done, what I had done before that, um, kind of also reckoning with Los Angeles, and I think Los Angeles is part of the brief here that I've been commanded by C four to talk about uh, what it's like in Los Angeles. But part of when I was trying to get back into a practice of making of making work and making art. Um, one of the things I had done to kind of get out of my own head is I had ma made like an anonymous Tumblr at the time when, and started this practice of trying to take a shot and post it without editing it or mm -hmm. without thinking about it too much. Mm -hmm. And the kind of game was that I would just take it and post it or and try to do at least one a day. And so... I had started doing this. I didn't even tell Christina. And this is pre-smartphone. No, this is this is this is smartphone. Okay. This is uh this is smartphone. This is your iPhone one. This and is a half. iPhone, and this is I mean, and I think that's that's really that was um. Take a sticker. Oh. Uh, go, 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 go. <laughs> Someone throw some stickers at that what, kid. <laughs> what is with the Danish character? This this America. These would be gone already. <laughs> um, yeah, they're all. They're all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Valiant effort. Um, uh, no, the, the fact that, the, you know, I never, I, I it's funny because I take thousands of photographs. Like my Instagram is like 4,000 photographs because I've still kind of kept this as a, as a game for myself. Um, and I think that I do think it's it having a capture and dissemination device on me at all times. So I could kind of do it by myself and, the kind of private spaces you can get into with this with the with the cell phone that that you can't with a DSLR or even like a the immediacy of it. Yeah, and like no one's really no one's paying attention to you, you know what I mean? Although I do get funny looks cuz I'm often like taking pictures of something like ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah. nowadays everybody, you know. Well, right. They, they could also be yeah. just looking at Twitter, you know. Right. Um uh so so that that I had kind of built up a sort of strange body of photography, and that's that makes me want to party beer. down here. <laughs> Thank you. So, so that so so what I had applied to school with was essentially those those photographs, because I I had kind of started to take them seriously and started to, to through that process take myself seriously. And, um, Dangerous thinking. I know. <laughs> like it's like, but it's like you have that one little day where you're like, these, these aren't bad. Yeah, you're like, I, are, I see something. These aren't bad. Yeah. These are okay. These are. Okay. And then you know, and then like it just took one friend to kind of just be like, do you want to get an MFA? And kind of push me over the ledge. Yeah, I, was just, I was just waiting, waiting for permission. Right. Well, yeah. that's that Michigan thing, right? Meat is very midwestern. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh me. Me. Um, me. But I mean, it seems like now I jump into the picture much later here, but yeah. out of the little uh, research uh, digging I've tried to do, your Instagram is really tough to get to the bottom of because it's 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 a it's a long one. It's a long one, and and I'm not going to spoil it, but everyone should try to scroll to the to the to the front because, <laughs> because there's to, something amazing. To, there. It's not amazing, but it <laughs> but it is it it was it was. Uh, it was what my friend dared me to make the first photograph, and it is exactly oh, the no, first photograph. No, I have to look, you <laughs> and I did, and I did realize that that if, uh, yeah, yeah, that's good marketing. Just right start, that's just start really good marketing. Working the thumb out. <laughs> but, uh, but I was trying to get to yeah. like I think I jumped on right when you were finishing your degree, which is pretty recently, correct? Twenty eighteen. Right. Yeah. So at that point, I saw a lot of concrete. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I saw a lot of uh, kind of like heavy things, a lot of sculpture, yeah. and then so, you know weird vinyl printouts and stuff. Okay. <laughs> so this is me Done. just coming out of the blue, right? <laughs> so, but that that just, I'm interested in the process of going from yeah. a tumbler to a, a pile of concrete rubble in the corner of your studio, and how that develops. Yeah. Well, that I, I that's a that's a really good question, and and the through line is is I think I think the the photography 
is more often than not an exploration of, of a built environment um of the graphic life of a street um the photography like i have a have a kind of love hate relationship with los angeles because i'm i'm trying to live in it as a pedestrian i don't own a car and i'm kind of trying to force which is pretty ballsy <laughs> pretty ballsy pretty. it just you know it like i had a almost three hour commute to work sometimes like and i would get on this bus and just sit there and kind of see that the city and why it didn't work the way I wanted it to work. But what, what ended up happening and I'd be like jacked on a thousand cups of coffee. Cause I would just sit there on the, this hour long bus is, and it would be the, and it was the Venice line, which for people who aren't from Los Angeles, it's a, it's a great street because it cuts through many different areas. You can kind of see the graphic life and the built life of many different neighborhoods. And the bus would kind of give me this picture window scrolling picture window that I would kind of just get to study and kind of pick apart. And mm -hmm. part of my kind of like part of the photography project came with like, well, what, what is so aggravating to me about this landscape? Like, what do I find so ugly yet intriguing and, and, um, you know, what, what, what are the, what are the, what story is the architecture telling? And then the applied graphics telling, you know, what, what materials, um, you know, the, the, the banners to me are super fascinating. And to me, that's a really symptomatic feature of LA architecture because the economy, like we've seen lots of, like, you'll see lots of stores like churn through, especially downtown where I live. And, um, to me, the banner, like a lot of stores will open up, but they won't put a sign. They'll put a, they'll put a banner up. They'll stretch the banner of their store over the old sign and to me, it kind of acknowledges the kind of transience of like, we may not be here tomorrow. And like a lot of times, like um, they'll collapse and they kind of like have this weird poetic kind of decay going Flopping on in the wind. floppiness. And, and it kind of, it's like this kind of um, devaluation of, of um, a physical space. Like I feel like in the, you know, and of course this is like an American dream thing, but you'd like plant your flag, you'd make your family store and you're, you're going to be there for generations and pass it down to your children. Like, like a lot of store frontage now in Los Angeles is like obviously fly by night, you know, and, and investing in a sign seems like tempting fate almost or whatever. So, so like trying to figure out like why so many stores in Los Angeles to use, you wrap themselves in banners and graphics instead of, you know, making signage or doing something more compelling or aesthetic, you know, and just going like, Oh, it's because they might not be there tomorrow. Or, or this is like, um, a cash check cashing place or something, you know, it's like a, an economy based on in, uh, insecurity. Our customers don't give a fuck about what kind of sign we have. Well, they don't give a fuck. I mean, in it, but it, you know, and it's, and it's part of the sort of strange allure of the graphic life of Los Angeles. Cause it's so layered. Um, mm -hmm. Like I've been walking, doing just huge monster walks through Copenhagen. And there is some interesting graphic life here, but it's not like layers on layers. Um, where it's like a it's like a sign that used to exist and now a banner's on it and and um, that's collapsing and then there's a graph you know it, there's not th the history of three stores in necessarily although I do really like the gambling halls those are my favorite with the dice that stick out and the flags where they fringe the flags and they're, really, they're really something else and people just ignore them oh I love the gambling the gambling halls are good and also all of the butchers with like a pixelated hunk of meat on a gradient background yeah, they like blow up a picture from the website yes exactly yeah. like yeah. it's just like pixelated yeah really just so it's so much going on in, in <laughs> like it's yeah so there's there's not that there isn't graphic life here but it's just like like you know there it would be really deep it's unique Flags. to something else or unique to a, a right. mentality of a city almost right exactly and so how i got to like maybe the concrete structure you're talking, like I had, I had done a big, I got interested in the idea of a ruin, like what a ruin was. And, um, uh, the, the, perhaps the concrete piece you're talking about, was that the one where I had arranged the con the, the cinder blocks? Is that, maybe? you know, I really wish I could tell you more. I just, just Instagram flying through it. I That's believe no, it was I when you were moving out of your studio. Oh, all of the concrete rubble. That's that exactly was this piece. So what I had done is, um, you know, thinking about um, the way things are built in Los Angeles, which is built to be demolished. You know, they're not they're not the Acropolis. They're not. 
It's uh, going to burn down a riot anyway. It's going to burn down a riot. <laughs> be shooken off by the, the earth. The earth is going to shake us off its back. Uh. But it's it's whether the it's the economy like things are built in a way um, that almost acknowledge they're they're built in a way to be easily disposable. Mm. You know they're they're I mean and, and this isn't just Los Angeles. It's just that um, I went back home to Michigan and saw the same thing. It's a, kind of an American thing now where they're building these kind of mid level shit boxes basically made out of plywood and, and um, cinder blocks like a standard unit. And so the idea of that piece was to um, uh, try to arrange what I well what I had done is to, to, to it's not on my website anymore but to, to explain it is I had taken the cinder blocks and just kind of gone out in the back of the studio and smashed them and what I would do is I kind of would arrange them to their however they they didn't it wasn't like a, a rules or a game but I would arrange them to whatever the pieces were like if it was an elbow I would put it next to an elbow and kind of slowly made this pattern that branched out into the studio. And then I, and so it kind of had a horizon. Um, it kind of looked to me like, you know, pictures of Aleppo or something or Dresden or something like it looked like a ruin, like a model of a ruin. And mm. then I kind of lit it with a spotlight because I'm also interested in kind of museological display and how you signify um, historicity and, and things like that. And a lot of times that's done through display. Mm. Like if you just put a bunch of pottery on a, plinth it's not it's not a museum until it's lit you know like right. you know then it's oh then it's from the past don't forget the fiberglass uh well, you know, creek bed exactly well those are all the, <laughs> like i mean i went to the british museum and i was and ignoring all the colonial uh, nightmare stuff going on there like the the sort of stage stagecraft going on in that place was so amazing and mm. nutritious but um <laughs> Uh, so, so that the idea was to was to try to physicalize to make a sculpture that carried with it the idea of um, of a ruinless place of a place that would not be ruined, um, and to try to signify uh, it as a ruin out of this kind of disposable material, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, through its display and um, you know and yeah and eventually it was actually I made ended up making really great bookends that I gave to my professors out of the cinder blocks. So there's nothing like having art that actually becomes useful. I just went right to kids. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, and uh, it's interesting to see that through line between taking pictures of an architecture and going over to like almost forensic architecture and this sort of like, that's a great way to put it. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, cause as a photographer, I've been very interested in forensic architecture and what that means mm -hmm. and forensic photography of hmm. architecture, you know, and that's, that goes straight back to Google earth and, you know, uh, you know, pictures of Israeli occupations and uh, oh, God. You know, all yeah. sorts of weird, like how the, how the, the, the human landscape bears the signs of trauma, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. You know, which is maybe not the best bridge to this exhibition. <laughs> well, we can get here. We can, we can get here. I mean, I mean, you know, um, this is, this is, this is probably like, this exhibition is like two or three or four projects out where I had started to kind of still think about, you know, standards and things like that. Um, to me, that was like taking up museological display in the museum. I had actually just gone in Mexico City to the Anthropology Museum there, which was a huge influence. And mm. that's all lit and lit like a, a magical history land. Wonderland, <laughs> yeah. It's really amazing. Um, and everyone should go if they go to Mexico City. But mm. um, um, I've always kind of been interested in, you know, to me, it's like that standard unit, that cinder block mm -hmm. um, was was the, an essential the Lego part of, block of the real world the lego block of the real world exactly so 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 from there i i've done more projects where i took up standards um the last show i did in los angeles um you know i took up the kind of standard drop ceiling which in america is very prevalent um it's a kind of very 50s and 60s like modernist solution to a ceiling and um the one we built lights in and everything yeah the, it's down. a drop ceiling i guess if you google drop ceiling <laughs> i mean i don't know i haven't seen i haven't said i don't know I was what gonna is say, google well i was gonna google uh i was gonna say like um 
I just keep being thinking of the movie All the President's Men. There's like all the scenes in the in the New York Times office is a really amazing drop ceiling. But uh, um, so what I'd done is I'd, I'd taken the ceiling plane and sort of bent it to the ground. So it crossed to the ground. Mm. And the idea was to kind of just make one move within a standard and kind of raise the pressure in the room. Um, I crossed a door line, which ended up causing all sorts of problems with like fire code from the gallery, which was really nice for me. Right. Bad for them. Crossing fire code is always uh, a good idea. But it, but it, you know, just just doing this one thing um, mm. brought out all these things, and and also like brought the ceiling closer so people could smell it. Um, I'm really interested. Like like I, I in the quality of light. Like I actually banked the lights down so they were in your face, and um, like that's really interesting to me. When when like I'm not interested necessarily in like phenomenology, like light and space, but I am interested when it becomes like signifying when like the smell of uh, you know, like you're like, oh, where have I smelled this sort of like outgassing toxic material before? It's like, oh, at the dentist office or, you know, at the, in, in school or something. Right. You know what I mean? And, right. and so that was a big part of that project. So I don't know if that gives you anything else to get to this project. <laughs> well, in a way, I mean, for yeah. me, this project here is very forensic too. Yeah. So I'm just going to plow into mm -hmm. my reading of it, which Please. is uh, not, I'm not here to be a critic, but like Please. I had a, I had a very visceral reaction to it because yeah. I have recently become a father. So I very much reacted to these home movies you have, yeah. uh, these childhood ephemera yeah detrius maybe you could even call it i like that uh i'll take it uh you know stickers just all this stuff because now i'm seeing it from a whole different angle right and that uh you know just these videos really kind of like oh my god everything's different everything's the same and you know yeah really you know and so my big question that came up immediately is where are you in all this well, I mean, where am I? Where is my art practice, or where? Where, where do you? I? Where, Where's where Nathan? Where's where Nathan? Well, um, well, let me back up and describe the. So, what what this is is um, is when I first began talking to C four, the the brief was kind of on the topic of intimacy, mm. and um, um there were two things that I'd been trying to figure out what to make work out of for a long time. One is kind of, um, my interest in standardized spaces. And I'd, I had unfortunately, fortunately, because it's all fine, but unfortunately had the uh, occasion to be in a lot of hospital waiting rooms, um, over the past couple of years and think about these kind of standardized spaces, um, how they're generic, and kind of intensely personal and yet they're designed so everyone kind of keeps in their own bubble, kind of keeps to themselves. But there's in some cases life or death, there's sickness, you know, there's there's kind of the the the, the bodily uh and emotional um stakes, I guess, are high in that kind of space. Right. You're not hanging out at the hospital because you like the room. Because you like the room. And the and the decoration is always so and especially, you know, and I'm, of course, coming at this from an American place, which is much different as I've started to do research to the Danish standard. But the, the, the decoration is usually very placid. Um, um, I'd say it's about the same here. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, and we can talk about it later, but the difference is, in, let's say, the quality of the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> That's because Danes will not accept a lower it's the, it's the, Well, I mean, and we can talk, this 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 project ended up being a, a lot more austere than I thought it would be, but mm. I think I was just kind of reacting to, like, it would, you know, but let me, let me continue. So so what, the second thing is, um, is um, there was a time in my mid-20s when I ended up back in Michigan kind of in an inflection point and my folks were splitting up and um uh which is which is not re essential backstory but it's the idea is that is that um even before this when I was younger than that I had uh, the way that I think I think a lot of american homes are like this and maybe Dane there's a, there's this kind of basement storage area that it kind of collected just kind of nostalgic ephemera from our lives and you know toys and i would just be amazed and and uh, you know when i was younger i would this room was kind of like a kind of semi-scary wonder room like i knew if i dug deep enough like i might find a playboy 
or yeah. like you know oh, like, but then so. also like t- you know toys from childhood that i didn't remember mm. and you know their clothes from when they were you know you know my parents lives before i existed and so it became this kind of weird archaeological site that i would go down and kind of pick through as like a personal whatever but but so so and then there were and then there was started to be a time when i started to take pictures of that when an early digital cameras um you know like this picture i took when i was maybe 20 or something because it was so fascinating yeah it was on a personal well i would just pull them out and it's funny because it even felt like illicit at the time it just i felt like i was gonna get caught you know just taking snaps and i ended up this is somebody's stuff this is somebody's stuff and even though it was Mm. um my family stuff it didn't feel like mine you know it felt like somebody else's story that i was related to i think it's about in your 20s where you realize your parents had a whole different life it was nothing to do with you oh yeah Exactly. Um, but yeah. I mean, my mom threw a bunch of stuff out from the garage and I had to photograph it before I went to the dump. Well, not everybody's nostalgic. And my mother is exceptionally nostalgic mm. and writes notes on every photograph. And that's tremendous. I mean, it's it's tough because sometimes it can be a little overwhelming because she's she every object has a story like sentiment, which is kind of sweet and commendable. But I mean, I, that's also kind of what this project is is kind of for me working through. I don't know. You know I don't know if that comes through here because it's kind of austere. It's kind of like, but but, but that's why I ask about you yeah. because I read so intensely personally into it. Yeah. But the way it's set up is right. Also, with a certain distance, so right. you have a distance to the material, but the material is intensely personal at well, the same time. Right, and so I, I guess maybe I didn't cross the two get get where those two interests overlap and 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 for the for the listeners what this is is that this is i i've set up what a what is kind of a a stylized version of a of a professional or doctor's office waiting room and i'll just say we're gonna put pictures of it on the website okay cool so you can go in and see what we're talking about right um that's great and um and what it is is that i kind of took it as a format um as a way to so yeah, to process this material with some distance because I think it it's not interesting for me to um I think show up with just a pile of ephemera and things from my life and it's tricky. It's In tricky. Our world to, it's tricky. It's well it's just it's tricky it's tricky to utilize. I mean this is you know it's tricky for a lot of reasons. But I was trying to use it as a way of interpreting. So so in this waiting room everywhere that the, there would be a sort of generic place for generic content like the tv on the wall that would just have cnn blaring or the photographs on the wall that would just be like a landscape or something there their pictures an oil pastel an oil pastel exactly or the children's area you know there's uh, there's a children's area always in the children's area um is uh is these stickers these photographs i made of these toys that i grew up with so i so so the idea was to kind of translate through photography or stickers to kind of transmogrify these objects into another kind of carrier mm. um and of course you know i have a, a a children's stool from ikea which which is great there was a at the opening there was um a kid here and went straight for it and i felt like that was like the, the valid total it. validation yeah. she should be here right now yeah she made the show but just that she understood what this was and like the the scale was you know right for the that was like totally I love that. Yeah. And, and, uh, proved, you know, kind of felt like I got the format right. Mm. And so the distance, yeah, the distance is just so that there's like a layer of remove, a layer of analyzing in a way for there to be some sort of anthropological, like obviously, you know, people won't know necessarily what these photographs are of like the Midwestern house and the kind of basement. Or, well, that's especially the thing because I, my mother's from the Midwest, so yeah. I, I get it. Okay. To a degree. Right. I didn't grow up there, but I, I've, I've visited the house she grew up in in Kankakee, yeah. Illinois, you know? Yeah. But, but I don't think Danes would necessarily get the right. very Midwesternness of it. Yeah. The wood panel. The fake. I mean, ah, it's me mixing my own life into. Well, it's really you know, interesting. I mean, say, it but. would be, it would be really interesting to do this project in America and, you know, or in the Midwest where I think it would come off very differently. Mm. And the, and the, and the waiting room as a format would be different. Cause again, the furniture and the Can't appointments nice. would not be Eames, <laughs> whatever it would be. Yeah. It's just a totally different set of signifiers here. 
I mean, because yes and no. I mean, it's still universal to that degree, but you're right; it it reads slightly differently. But we're hypersensitive to that. That's true, but I I just still think like this would be like a fancy waiting room, and like and and all the googling I did, it was like Ames Terrace, Ames Terrace, and it was like there. I mean, there was or or there was this one. I wish I could. I I'd found the name out of it. I can't remember it. This is one Danish design chair that I saw everywhere, and um, you know, and it's Arnie Jacobsen. Probably to the crowd. At least that's a pretty common one to the crowd. Yeah. Um. So so what I what I had found is that and was fascinating. It was kind of part of the original pitch for this. Although I'm not really a researcher, was a kind of was a kind of way to take this kind of Danish standard of design, which to me again was not working in my comfort zone. Like if I was to set up a a, a standardized generic space in through my American lens, like there'd be carpet, there'd be like like that shitty Berber carpet. There'd, there'd be, be a hang in there, kitten. Probably. There'd be, yeah, there'd be like <laughs> dream catchers. <laughs> no, I don't think I've seen a dream catcher in a waiting room, but there or like, should be. Or like, you know, like, I don't know. Faux, faux wood. Faux wood is big. Faux, faux, faux wood and big, big padded. We can just start to describe a room you've never seen. <laughs> we got an hour. Let's do this. Um, yeah. No, but I mean, I find it interesting that blend. You, know, you kind of earlier said you didn't know if you made that connection, but in my mind, you absolutely made this connection between something so intensely personal. Again, I go back to the video here. Yeah. Just seeing, watching the video of you, these are home videos and they're yeah. just amazing because the, in this context and the camera work and the, the B-roll or, you know, whatever yeah. you want to say is just like, it, it couldn't be more poignant if you'd stood behind them and been like, you got to do this, you got to do that. Uh you know, it just it 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 really kind of cut deeply for me. But I'm also from the photography world, and like yeah. I said, I'm recently become a father. You know, but like that's the one that really just like transfixed me. I sat and watched it through the whole time during the opening, um, because that's it good. is so tender. These family videos, right? Your parents had no conception of this exhibition when they made those videos. <laughs> no, no, <they laughs> and then recognizing sure your little face. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, just seeing that and the out of focus. Oh, I got to focus the camera, and there's your mom, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, opening Christmas presents on camera, which is really just about the most awkward thing you can imagine. But that's pretty seventies, eighties ish. You know, like I mean, they were recording. I mean, like I think it, there's there's so much in there, and that's the other thing to to we're, we're trying to have like trying to have some distance was really tough because a lot of this material was really hard for me to process like i went through different stages of like regret and grief you know and grief and some of the stuff was really hard for me to have enough distance to like edit Mm -hmm. and um and uh to to think about what is an archetype and also to think about you know like right now on cameras is is, this is before everyone had a cell phone camera so and I and I think they were the one of the first amongst their friends to have a VHS like a like video one of those motherfucker it, huge yeah full on video right. VCR tape and a lot of times they can see themselves on the TV and and that scene I included is, is there they can almost not stop looking at themselves and their awareness of the camera and performing for the camera it's like when you talk on Skype and then you're watching and then yourself. you're watching you can't help <laughs> but look in, into the corner <laughs> um, but this is like even before then I mean the the way they talk about it they always like my mother is always saying you know are you taking pictures right like they don't there's still not there's still not the language of like my father was a cinephile and I think wanted to be a filmmaker. I think there's there's a point that's really poignant for me where he goes like, man, I could have could really get into this video stuff instead of filmmaking. You know, and it's like the dream of filmmaking was still alive for him or whatever. And right, just scratching at the surface <laughs> right there for a second. But but you know, there's there's all this the, the language around it was still like films. It wasn't like it wasn't that we were f- filming ourselves at all times. This was still kind of a I don't know. Not special because they shot so much footage, you know? But that's but, actually kind of rare that they shot so much footage at that time. Yeah, he would just let it run. I mean, my original concept for this video is that it would be an eight-hour video that would run from morning to night for the entire kind of day. That's uh, wild. <laughs> because there's just that much footage. You know, there's 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 more than that. There's Yeah, because like my wily uncle had one of those cameras. And yeah. I think we have two tapes from my entire childhood of him, like when he happened to be there and it felt like 
putting yeah. it, you know, like throwing it up on his shoulder. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's just, where he would just let it run. There's like a scene where my mom's carving pumpkins. That's like an hour. It just rolls. It just rolls. Wow. <laughs> you know, so he's like a Russian filmmaker. Exactly. <laughs> or I keep saying like that. Yeah. 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 Like exactly. Yeah. He's Tarkovsky. He was, yeah. he, if only, yeah. if only, yeah. I mean, he loved, I mean, he was, he, he, he loved that stuff. So, I think this was, I, I, I suspect there was some sort of like documentarian mm. aspect flowing through this. So if we are to speak of the idea of using such intensely personal yeah. material, I think of all the horrible art projects that a lot of people have made, and I'm not comparing you to them. What I'm looking for <laughs> gotcha. is this is the gotcha journalism. Yeah. <laughs> Now you're on. No, I'm looking for that bridge, right? Where you, yeah. you actually become mature enough as an artist to deal with things. A good example is I remember when I was in art school, I wanted to do a project about my grandfather who just died. Mm-hmm. And I came up sure. with some idea. I have it in a notebook somewhere. It was probably, you know, 25% okay. But sure. my teacher was just like, write that down and put it away. Yeah. You're not ready. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. and like that stuck with me, that idea that you have to like, just because it's so intensely personal to you doesn't translate yeah, to yeah. your audience. Exactly. Oh, I went through the same thing in film school. Yeah. Ah, and it's so hard because yeah. uh, part of you wants to be like, fuck the audience. I do what I want. But right. there's a reality about making art and inviting people in that involves some sort of discussion with art as a greater force. And, you know, also it's just, you know things that we learn in art school essentially so what do you like what, what do you say about dealing with um that? well one i went through the same thing like why don't people find this poignant because this is so you know personal but it's i mean when you use the material i mean one it's just distance you know it's it's uh, you know knowing that that this was something that was interesting but not knowing what to do with it, but thankfully holding on to it. There's actually more pictures, but because this is like digital, they like one of the hard drives died. That's that's a whole other interesting, that's a whole other conversation about photography that I'm kind of maybe having in this exhibition as well with with the piece back there. Mm. But um, but um, I would say another. I mean, I'd say that's also something I learned in grad school. Like without without calling anyone out, like um, there was a student who had used um. Fuck that guy. <laughs> sweet guy. This sweet guy I'm going to use as an example. But he had used, uh, he had used, and he's a good artist too, but he had used, um, he'd used like live birds in his work, but made what I viewed as compromises to the work to accommodate the lives of the bird. And I guess in a funny way, what made me, what I realized is that if you're going to use like live birds, you have to be prepared to kill the bird. Like you have to, you have to, you have to, like the material needs to serve the work. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> MFA education. In no, but I mean, you know, if, if, if the material is rule is, is, def- is ruling, you, you know what I mean? Like if you, if then don't use, then don't use live birds. If it doesn't work all the way. Maybe well, and, and for me, it's like, I had to get to that. I'm ready to kill this bird moment with this material where I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't look at this material it, and and there was minutes where I was like, I don't know if I can get there. And I still don't know if I get, if I really got, I mean, I started editing down, you know, th- there was more material and I, my, my probably smart with the video with this was just editing down because yeah, what you want is for people to, you know, one, I, 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 I tried, I kind of made rules for myself for the video where if they were talking, if they were addressing the camera directly about the quality of the picture, because they, there's great scenes of them bickering over the color balance, you know, like, um, because my mom was also, you know, had a, was, was interested in art. And I think she had, a, you know, she had a, opinions about the color, you know, um, she didn't take it passively. No. And, you know, um, so, so I, you know, these rules were, you know, if they were, if they were addressing the, the nature of film filming, if they were, if it was kind of an archetypal scene, like a mother and child, or if it was, you know, if these were things that I could include that were, that either played on archetypes or kind of addressed the camera. I mean, there's one scene where, you know, it's just the zoom is loud because it's an old motorized zoom. And it's just like me, my mother bottle feeding me and I cut it. I was going to cut it out because it was so kind of almost too touchy feely. And there was a while where I was no baby stuff, like fuck this baby stuff. But it's just like, it's like, 
like the machinery is so present. Yeah, you just feel the gears turning. The, yeah, and so and so that was kind of like um, the kind of some of the rules, or or yeah, like and then you know it's like I I had I had so many Christmases on tape, but but I decided to show my dad's again endless rolling of film where he's just walking through the scene, turning on Christmas carols, you know, and it's just kind of a shot of the. Uh, the pregame to Christmas. It's so static. Before we had, well, yeah, yeah. It's 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 just it's just and it, that goes on for like I cut that down. That goes on for like a half an hour. Dude had a really really big VCR tape budget. It was on EP extended play. <laughs> it was on extended. I mean, my dad, my dad had every single movie uh, ever made. Wow. Yeah. He was a he was definitely a cinephile. And that and, and that comes in, you know, some of the movies that he taped over. Right. So he was the guy who also was like, I'm a buying that VCR camera. Oh, well, I mean. It cost $1,200 in <laughs> that camera. I mean, we we had cable really or like all these sort of things where you could get movies like were this like. This is the opposite of my childhood. Oh, Sorry. man. We, the TV was, TV or music was always on in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. So where, in terms of like, if we're talking in an overview, in terms of touching on things, you just made yeah. this project, which means you've already uh, had a little bit of a mourning period. Yeah. Now that you've done it. Yeah. And now you're already thinking Post about the depression. next thing, right? Because that's yeah. what you do to get over the mourning period. Yeah. Where are we in the big picture now? Oh, because I mean, at this, this point, we could talk kind more of about like a well, five-year plan. I, well, I think more about like what worked and what didn't work here, you know. Mm. Because uh, I had a show last summer, and Nothing, I realized everything like, worked great. Oh, <laughs> thanks for coming, everybody! Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it obvious that this was a total success? I mean, yeah. uh, it's a process, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, and then there's a way of. Um, you know, I'm not talking about like, oh, the printer screwed me. I'm talking about like this maybe didn't work as well or yeah. not. Or, you know, in terms of, you know, because it seems also maybe like this is more of a personal work than you've made before. And whether you'd like to go in right. this direction or whether this is a, a sidetrack or where are we at? It's a it's a personal work in the in the way that I think in the same way that even though the office work that I had done in L.A., which is, you know, on my website is is kind of impersonal. Um, it does kind of mirror some work I've done vocationally. Like I didn't install drop ceilings, but I did for a long time, like hang drywall and do kind of work. So I feel like somewhere in a lot of my work where, you know, even when I was in San Diego and you were like, Oh, you wasted time. I mean, I actually, I had a lot of, you did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, San Diego, but, uh, 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 um, lovely place. Uh, the best people. <laughs> the best people. The America's finest city, according <laughs> to their own branding. In fact. <laughs> yeah, which is. But but I but I did in the nature of the work that I got to do. Like I ended up working for a management company, which was which is just a company that um, cleans up. You know, basically rehabs apartments as they're being between renters. And so I had a lot of time to just be alone and think of like, you know, what 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 doorknob, what rent level does this doorknob doorknob signify? And why are we using this kind of paint? And what what kind of materials go into you know? Because these these apartments would be classed, you know. There'd be different different levels and different neighborhoods, and different materials would be called for for a different um, uh, situation. So, you know, um, a lot of my work feels like vocational work. Like when I'm installing a ceiling for art purposes, it still feels like, like I'm doing it for uh, to make a living, quote unquote. Mm. And so, even though this is on the face of it, like quite personal, like I still think of it as kind of as, 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 as making something apparent through difference or whatever. Or I, I was, I was saying with the, the rhetoric I was using for the, the um, ceiling piece was raising the pressure in the room. Like, uh, you know, getting, you know, if I, if I make the ceiling plane, do something it's not supposed to, then you get into fire codes, like all these, um, then you get into, um, not blocking a door and pissing off the landlord, you 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 raise the kind of pressure of the room. So with this, like maybe I wish it had been a little more high pressurized in here, but it was still kind of the idea of, of taking a standard like a format, like a waiting room, and and uh, making it discursive, which is a very grad school uh, way to put it, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But so you're looking more at the contrast. That's really the thing that's that's kind of. I mean, it's it's it's. I was. I mean, I was. 
I think one of the things that maybe is tough and maybe well, not a bridge too far, but I think I was having trying to have a lot of different conversations. I think like I was trying to have also a conversation about, um, I made a publication. Um, I also, instead of, um, you know, I like to, I, I, I like to think about the idea of, a, of, of the physicality of a photograph. And, and I did bring a few kind of quote unquote original photographs and my anxiety around them, like, oh, I can't lose this, or I hope it Your doesn't. Your mom's get... nostalgia is infecting you. Well, sure, but I mean, but it, but it's also through. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I was, I am her, her, her son. But you know, like figuring out how to communicate that, you know, like so. What I had done is actually, you know, I, I tried to, I'd flipped over the photograph, which, which had her. Which is very my mother, which is very too. She described the entire photograph of what it was yeah. in writing on There's the back. There's a chair on the right hand side. Yeah. I mean it's it's to the you know, it's 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 like, you know, it it's Nathan and his mommy at right. the hot air balloon in Battle Creek, Michigan. You know, it's like directly what the scene is, but it's I kind of loved it because it's in her handwriting mm. and it's kind of yellowed on the back of the the, the paper, the, the kind of substrate, because the thing that a, a digital photograph won't ever do is won't ever age. You know what I mean? And I think that's why early on in Instagram and things like that, like when my friends were having children and taking pictures of their children, they were adding filters because it, the, something about the, it wasn't poignant. It, it wasn't poignant the way that we knew our childhood photos. It didn't read like exactly like our childhood. Yeah. And we knew our childhood photos to have patina and, and, because because the paper and the, the things were yellowing, and so you look at this photo and you'd be like, "Oh, it's even too- though they weren't that way when they were originally well, exactly. made." Like I mean, that was the best. Got them looking normal. It's it's always the technological product, you know, a fo- photograph, and and we assign signifiers to it, whether it's the age or the way the 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 uh, grain structure works. Like Kodachrome has a certain feel. So what I really liked, you know, in flipping that photo over was one. Um, having her description. So the scene is now in your mind rather than, you know, trying to, for me to convince uh, the viewer that I'm just like everybody else and I have a mommy and this is us, you know, and whatever archetypal Um, I flipped it over. So it's, it's her handwriting, which is almost more personal describing the scene and then kind of printed on access is, um, is the kind of like, which kind of spoils the magic of it. It says like this, this paper manufactured by Kodak. Right. In all caps, Kodak you know, gold. Yeah, we you know, own you. You know, which which kind of one um, just kind of punctures the magic of the singularity of this photograph and my kind of because I'm like, oh, this is the only one I have of this, mm. and it's like, but it's but it's inherently a copy. It's you know, it's inherently a technolo- technology manufactured by Kodak. Um, and um, what makes it poignant is, of course, the story. It is, it is of course, the signifiers of age. And um, well, the funny thing is, you've helped it last longer by turning it around. Well, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've actually protected you know, it from light. I know. I mean, it's been it's been in a basement in a box. I mean, the proverbial box. The, the published the, the publication, which I should also say, I tried to reproduce the the magazine, which the magazines that are um, in a waiting room um, is uh, is you know the cover is the box. There was like a box of photographs that I found and kind of was would dig through and then also add to. Like I would be like, "Oh, weird." Yeah, I would never do that. I was yeah. I'd be like, this is untouchable. It became this isn't for me. I don't know, dude. I felt compelled. And then the crazy thing was, I don't I have no idea what happened to that box. It disappeared. So, hmm. next project, huh? Yeah, the search, <laughs> the, search for, the search for the box. The search for the box. Yeah, I mean. It's funny. I I kind of thought earlier on when you were talking about all these different angles you've been coming from. Yeah, and I think maybe. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry to interrupt. I should I should also say something important about the that where the where the questions of of copies is that it's flanked by two office plants or kind of IKEA plants, but what they are is they're faux plants. Um, and the the thing the other thing that I that's true also of photography and any serial object is that it's only betrayed as a, as a serial object if you, if it's faced with its twin. And so in isolation, that plant, even though we might recognize that it's a faux, uh, a faux object, it still kind of stands in for the natural. Like it has the signifier of nature right. and we kind of always take nature as this kind of unrepeatable, um, thing in the same way that I was kind of like fetishizing this photograph as the only one that ever existed. I mean, there might be a, a, the one I can make more copies, 
to um, it, it, it was definitely one of many. And so in, in flanking these, with these kind of um, repeated industrial objects that, you know, have some variances that have to do with, you know, manufacturing and other things like that. Like I was trying to have a conversation about copies and, and um, you know, because I think signifying nature is also a big part in offices to soften them up right. know, in the waiting room. So I think I mean it pulls on a lot of things, and I, I the the thing that passed through my mind as as we were going through this was was that my reaction was intensely personal to me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is interesting. So I pick up much heavier on certain angles right. rather than others. And anybody coming through the door might react to something or something else or not at all. You know, had yeah. I seen this video for two years ago, I would have been like. Oh yeah, family videos, you know. Right. But now it has like a much more intense meaning for me. Sure. And I think that kind of brings it around to something I think about a lot, which is in for example, grad school. Yeah. In the art world in general, we learn to speak in a certain way. Yeah. Which for sure. certain which which just kind of I don't want to say it excludes the general public because I'm not apologetic about art being complex or, mm. let's say, uh, a little harder to unpack. But requiring requiring of someone of something, of yeah, something, yeah, in that sense. But like, yeah. just the way that we use visual language to communicate, it really like I really right. swing violently between being like this should be for everybody. Or yeah. this is research that we do, which could not reach certain depths without a certain level of complexity. Yeah, I, I, I feel you, man. That's what kept me, I think, really knee jerk. I mean, one, I had like a sort of like really naive relationship with with pol- with with a politic, I guess, around it, and and feeling like it was elitist when I was younger in my twenties, and also that had a lot to do with kind of like. Um, being defensive about my background, which was middle class and, you know, trying, you know, art seemed so outside of my everyday experience and the language was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think part of going to grad school was grappling with that language and, and realizing it's, it's value. And and still having, sometimes having that, having that sort of, ugh, like. It's like, hard to, I mean, just it, go to somewhere and go to a state fair and tell someone you're an artist. Well, right. I mean, I mean, tell your family you're an artist. <laughs> yeah, I got lucky on that one. But, but you know, the, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's where you can yeah. see where the rubber hits the road, you know. Right. And I think that's a challenge. I mean, one thing that made me feel good about this, I actually have two, two, two anecdotes, and I don't want to go on too long because I, I think, you know, part of it's, um, I do want to talk about L.A. a little bit. But um, there's two anecdotes. One is, um, you know, Christina is, you know, who I mentioned is an artist, and she's 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 back in in California right now and with her family it was Easter weekend I included Easter footage in the um <laughs> shout out to Easter <laughs> shout out to give a shout out to, to the Lord and um um so she, so her her family was like well what's Nathan why isn't he here what's he what's he doing you know and she was trying to demure oh he's you know he's got an art show okay well what's the art show they're very, they're, they're, they're just trying to head them off at the pass at every just tr- Exactly. Like, I don't want to get into this. And and it's great how she tells the story. Like, but you know, they're, they're kind of lovely and pushy and they're like, no, that's not a they're Italian answer. They're Italian. Hey, I'm not, you know, they're Italian. <laughs> so, um, so she's like, all right, well, you want to do it? Let's get into it. And so she starts like kind of full blown getting into the kind of, uh, you know, kind of taking from the press release and, you know, kind of getting into like, well, you know, a waiting room has a certain semiotics and of certain relatability and it's a generic space and, you know, conflated with this personal uh, material and, and, you know, but, 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 but how this anecdote ends is actually a happy story. Like um, one of her relatives is like a charge nurse and is like, oh, I know exactly what you mean. You know, like, yeah, it's such a crazy space and it's so impersonal, but everyone's got a personal story and, you know, and kind of really keyed into it. And, you know, and, and a lot of people kind of really got it. Of course, they're not seeing it. They're, you know, here it's like, again, this is a little more austere than I kind of imagined it. They're imagining American mm. uh, or they're just, ima- well, I mean, what, what they're imagining is their experience, which I actually really love. And that's kind of the same thing where I wanted to have the photo conjure your own experience. Yeah. But th- so that was actually really great and th- that it was gettable to, to non 
uh, art humans. And that's the other thing when I was talking about. Hold on. Non-art humans? <laughs> yeah, sorry, or regulars. Normals. Civilians, I Civilians. call Civilians. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, that, that I feel like I try to carry through in all my projects. It's, it's kind of what I was saying when, um, you know, I, I talk about, you know, I, I'm interested in the phenomenology of the everyday when it crosses over into, into which is also like a very art school fucking thing to say. But it's like, uh, it's like when, when the quality of light you know, signif signifies or, or signals some place to you. Like if I can say to like someone, one of my favorite reactions at the opening was I, is I had specifically like mopped the floor. So it felt kind of, it smelled kind of antiseptic in here. And somebody said, Oh, how did you get the waiting room smell? Uh, yeah, and I really cool. loved that uh, reaction. And even before today, I kind of like baptized the space. I tried to like get a little corner, it, corner yeah, like with, some, with some smell. But to <laughs> me, that, to me, that, you know, or the quality of the light or something like that is important to me. And so that is a way that my work is kind of knowable to based on a, I mean, a lived experience is not everybody has the same experience, but mm -hmm. I, I want, I don't, I don't want you to have to have special knowledge to uh, approach the work. And that's how I've tried to reconcile the elite, the kind of still within me. I still have that angry 18, uh, 18 year old knee jerk, uh, punk communist uh, in me you know and that's yeah. how i that's how i like, tried to make work that is that is uh understandable mm. but you know still is still is based on my art school education which i which i think is really at the end of the day um you know indispensable to have that language it's a double-edged sword yeah because you can't come at people with that in normally well that in the world our world is just what the art world is like right. you know if you go into the let's go to your soccer game there's a certain nomenclature around that well right yeah exactly that's very true you know and uh, that yeah. we forget that because we're constantly having right. to defend what we do right and right because it's not a because like you know it's not a exactly because for, for whatever reason for whatever reason we do and and isn't this and i mean the other side of that is isn't this a profession and shouldn't it have its own i think that's where a lot of this theory and the answer is no get a job <laughs> get a job <laughs> and that's where we pull the plug all right all right thank you thank you thank you for uh, thank you so much show. i hope that was good And of course, thank you for listening to this episode of The Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music is kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by CSIS. You can find links to their music and tons of other conversations with great people on our sabbatical of a website, culturalbandwidth.com. If you like the show, it would be a huge help if you take the time to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help others find us. Thank you for joining us.